Lord, I am so grateful that you have given us your Son, that you have given us your Spirit, that you've given us your Word. Father, that you have brought us together as a church family. I pray, Lord, for those who aren't with us today. I know we've got folks traveling and whatnot and just ask for your hand of grace upon them. But Lord, for all of us who are gathered here today, help us to remember why. Lord, we're here to worship you and bring you glory. We're here to draw closer to you. And we are here as a church family to love and encourage one another. And I pray, Lord, as we have sung together, as we continue to worship in your word, and then as we continue that worship in a time of fellowship afterwards, that in all these things, Lord, your spirit would be moving in our hearts and minds, that our ears would be open to hear the things you would want to say to us today, and that you would indeed be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out on the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, or Alphaeus, Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and one of the Gospels says Judas, not Iscariot, that's my favorite, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and he healed them all. So after the scenes we looked at last week from two different Sabbath days, Sorry, my, the, the grass is getting green, and I'm, like a lot of people, suffering for that. We're not really given a time frame. All it says in verse 12 is it came to pass in those days. So we don't really know what those days were. Um, but what we do know is Jesus deliberately chooses those from among his followers whom he would call apostles. And I want to take a moment to note that nothing happens in God's kingdom by accident. In Isaiah 46, verse 9 through 11, we're told this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Now, even seemingly random things that we may think happened by chance I don't really think our chance. Like, I don't believe in luck. I have a saying that I love to throw out on the pickleball court. Right? I got pickleball in the brain. Um, when don't I? But a saying I love, oh, it was a lucky shot. Nope, there's no such thing as luck. Preparation meets opportunity. No such thing as luck. Right? You've hit that shot a thousand times out. That time you made it in. Good job. It's not luck. Because... I don't believe in luck. Oh, man, I'm so lucky to have found my wife. No, I'm blessed to have found my, life, my wife. I am, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I found the best. Look at all the points I'm gathering, right, guys? Shh, don't tell her. Um, because there's no such thing as luck. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision 
is from the Lord. So why do I bring this up here? We're about to study how Jesus chose 12 of his followers specifically to be apostles, one of whom he knew would betray him. And he did this after a night of prayer. This shows us that everything God does, he does with intention. Even choosing the one who would betray him. Knowing that God has chosen them with such intention should give us comfort as we can know that God chose us with the same type of intention and for a similar purpose. That's why Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This, of course, does not negate our choice. Our choice to respond to his call and follow him. Remember, he called to Matthew and said, follow me. And then Matthew got up and followed him. What if Matthew had said no? He had the capacity to disobey. We all do. What if Matthew had said no? Well, we might not have a gospel of Matthew. We might have a, a gospel of, you know, Fred. I don't know. There were probably no first century Jews named Fred. Maybe there were. But God would have still accomplished his purpose in four gospels. But if Matthew had disobeyed, well, then we probably wouldn't get to read from the gospel that he penned. But it should be encouraging to each of us showing us that we are right where God wants us. And if we're not, then he'll, will, he will lead us and guide us, and we can trust him to do so. But I just don't believe things happen on accident. Now, that can be really difficult for us at times. Because sometimes things happen that really suck. Sometimes things happen that we hate. Sometimes things happen that we absolutely don't understand. Sometimes things happen that we, from all appearances, are unfair. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of other people's sin. Well, we, we read Romans 8.29. You go back to Romans 8.28, where all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And when we surrender our will to him, we accept that. If you ever want to feel better, go back and read the book of Job. <laughs> Love the book of Job. Love Job's wife, right? Why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks, babe. <laughs> you know, um, but what does he say? Shall we accept good from the Lord and not also evil? Right? And, and it wasn't that God was doing something evil. God is incapable of evil. But this was going on in his life, and we get the insight of the first two chapters of the book of Job, that there was a spiritual scene, a spiritual battle going on that Job was unaware of until much, much later. I just don't think things happen on accident. We may not like them, and if you're anything like me, you complain about it, and you get angry about it, and you hate it, and you get a little revengey. Anybody else? I get a little revengey. Right? Okay, two other honest people. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I start wanting to pray those prayers in the Psalms, you know, like, God, knock the teeth out of their mouth. Lord, send their head down to the grave with violence. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, <laughs> those are in the Psalms. Um, they're examples of what we probably shouldn't pray, um, you know, and we can trust that God is going to take care of it. But, you know, I've sat with people. I've sat in a hospital room. I sat in a hospital room with a, um, oh gosh, what was he, eight? An eight-year-old boy that was accidentally shot in the head by his brother. And, and I was in there with the family. And they, they were friends of ours, and they went to a different church at the time, but their pastor was a, a good friend of mine. He was out of town. I found out what happened. He called me and asked if I could go. Uh, we were down by Trinidad. I had to, I spent, what, I don't know, three or four days up in Denver at Children's Hospital with them. Um, and I sat there, and, and I'm very grateful they never asked the question, why? Because I didn't have an answer. But I remember sitting there, seeing that boy. I remember sitting in the room with them, 
when they said, we have to decide whether or not we're going to pull them off life support. And they looked at me and they said, what should we do? <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't get paid enough to answer that question. And I told them, I don't know. They said, what would you do? And I said, if it was my son, he's not there anymore. It's just a shell now. And if he has the ability to save other lives, because at that point in time, they, he was brain dead. They declared him brain dead. And uh, so they did. They let him become an organ donor. And from his eyes, I think they restored sight to like five other children. Um, the only thing they couldn't use was his heart. But both kidneys, liver, lungs, uh, optical nerves, uh, they couldn't use his heart, but they could use his heart valves. His life ended up saving, I, I mean, it was something like 20-some other children. They were praying for a miracle, and God gave 20-some 20 other, 20 other families a miracle instead of them, and I don't know why. I will never be able to answer that question. But I have to trust that God knows why. And I have to be okay with that. Because in the end, he is God, and we are not. The guy's making me cry this morning. So he says, I was fine until I looked out and a few of you started tearing up a little bit, and then I started. Can't cry alone. It doesn't work that way. So verse 12. It came to the pass in those days that he went out to the mountains to pray continued all night in prayer to God, and when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. So there was a larger crowd than just the twelve. He called all of them to himself, but he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, who we know as Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and Judas. There will be a quiz. Right? I'm going to go stand in front of the kitchen, and unless you can name all 12, you don't get dessert. You can still eat, you just don't get dessert. Which is really bad if I enforce that, because I can never name all 12. I, I always miss one or two. But we need to notice the order of things taking place here. It came to pass in those days, right? We don't have really the time frame. We just know it happened during the days of his ministry, probably quite early on, that Jesus went out to the mountain. He prayed all night and then made his choice. Only after the first two. So let's look at this. So the first thing he did was went out to the mountain to pray. And we have talked over the last year, year and a half, uh, repeatedly about the importance of silence and solitude as a spiritual practice for us. And here is another example of Jesus doing just that. I am convinced Jesus could, could have and did hear his father, even when he was surrounded by others, inundated with distractions. But many times Jesus wanted to and intentionally got alone with his father so he could pray. When we practice silence and solitude, when we intentionally get rid of and get away from the distractions of life, it is so much easier to listen to and hear the voice of our father. Now, I say it every time I bring it up. If you're anything like me, you set aside a time for silence and solitude, right? There's no dogs. Kids are still asleep. Usually for me, Leah has already left for work. I got my coffee. I've read my Bible. And I just want to sit there and be quiet before God. And, and it's really like, I, I don't know, like an angry duck or something in my head just starts quacking about everything. And, and I have the hardest time, right? External distractions are easy to get rid of. I have a really hard time of getting rid of the internal distractions. It just becomes right this constant noise. And eventually, though, if I sit there for a little while, the Lord gives me grace and I can shut it off enough for a few minutes to listen. Proverbs 4, 25-27 said, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And I love that verse because even though we may not think of it this way, it really talks about getting rid of distractions. 
doesn't it? Let your eyes look directly forward, right? Don't be distracted by what's here or here. Your gaze straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet so you don't swerve this way or that. Get away from evil. It's about being focused on the Lord, which is what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. When I first got saved, um, I had some surprising resistance from uh, my family and, and some other folks. And I remember, uh, you guys ever heard the saying, "You well, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? That's such a dumb saying. I'm sorry, if you really like it, I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's a dumb saying. Um, and I remember I, I was reading my Bible and I was praying and I was going to church every chance I got. And uh, you guys hear about my dad a lot. So my dad came to see, uh, came out to California. He had moved at that time and we were still in California. And he goes, well, we should go out to dinner that night. I can't, I got church that night. Oh, well, then maybe we should go out to breakfast. No, I can't. I got prayer meeting that morning, <laughs> right? I was, it was unceasing. And um, he goes, well, you know, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I was a young Christian. I really didn't know better. Um, later on, I heard a pastor preaching that passage from Colossians 3, 1 and 2. And he goes, well, the thing is, is if you're not heavenly minded, you can't be any earthly good. If our minds aren't focused on Christ, if we're not seeking the things that are above where he is seated at the right hand of God, then what good are we here? Just throwing that out there. That's why Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It's within the context of a chapter talking about worry. Right? Why, or why are you worried about what you're going to eat? Why are you worried about what you're going to wear? Right? God feeds the birds of the heavens. You're more important than they are. God clothes the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. You're a lot more important than that. So seek first the kingdom of God. Right? That's the context of that passage. But the point is, the first thing Jesus did by going to get on the mountain and pray was to get alone with his father. Then he continued all night in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 exhorts us to pray without ceasing. Now, if you prayed without ceasing, right, eyes closed, hands folded, it would be really hard to drive. Uh, if you prayed without ceasing, right, on your knees in a closet, you know eventually you'd starve to death. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means all day, every day, we try to keep our minds on the Lord. We try to be listening, led by the Spirit. We look for the opportunities that God places before us to love and serve others or to be a witness to them. Doesn't mean we don't have times maybe where we're on our knees and our eyes are closed and our hands are folded. I don't know if that's how you pray. I pray with my feet up, reclined, and a cup of coffee in my hand. I'm pretty sure God's still listening. But the idea is a constant attitude of being in communion with our Father. And here Jesus is really showing us what that looks like. Why would he need to continue all night in prayer? He's God, isn't he? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First, this was a time of communion with his father, which is of supreme importance. I am convinced that a lot of the time Jesus spent in prayer was not talking. That a lot of the time Jesus spent in prayer, he was quiet. And I think, right, even though the Bible tells us in places like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that we should make our requests to God. You can get into the Psalms where, where the psalmist will write things like, I cried out to the Lord all night, and he heard my cry and answered my prayer. There's nothing wrong with us talking in prayer. The problem is, is when all we do is talk in prayer. And we don't take time to listen. And sometimes that listening is silence and solitude. A lot of times for me, listening is opening the book. Right? I open his word, and I listen for him to speak to me from it. I'll tell you what, he does. And it's so encouraging to me. But this was a time of communion. And if all we think our prayer time is, 
is a time to get our requests answered, we're missing the point of prayer. Prayer is not about getting our will done. It's about us surrendering to his will. Prayer is not about us giving him a laundry list. He is not some cosmic Santa Claus. Well, Lord, I've been really, really good today. Can I have a Jaguar now? Not the car. I want to know. I'm joking. Um, no, that's not what prayer is about. And so often I have people who come to me and they're disappointed in their prayer lives. I've been praying for this and over and over and over again. And God just won't answer it. Yes, he has. That's clear. What do you mean? He told you no. We don't like to be told no. We're Americans. I'm just being honest, right? We're Americans. We don't like to be told no. I want a new iPhone. No. Why not? Because I haven't gotten my upgrade yet. A couple more months. But still, we don't like that. We don't like being told to wait. That's another great answer to prayer. Lord, I, oh, I just so want to see this. Okay, good. Just be patient. <laughs> no, I don't. Lord, well, God doesn't hear me then. God must not hear me. If he said no or he said wait, then clearly he's just not listening. No. That's not it at all. We have to have a different perspective on prayer. Second, this was an incredibly important decision. Not just for the remainder of Jesus' earthly ministry, but also for the future of the entire church, including you and I. You understand that this decision that he made to choose these 12 still impacts us today, almost 2,000 years later. That's incredible. I'm thinking that deserves some time in prayer. This shows his intentionality. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Matthew 11, 22 and 20 through 24. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. It's really encouraging. Right now there are some people who take that way too far. Well, I asked God to let me win the lottery, and I believed that I was going to win the lottery, and God knew that if I won the lottery, it would destroy me. So I didn't win the lottery. But I asked in faith. I claimed it in Jesus' name. No, 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 no. We don't get to do that. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. James chapter something. Oh, now it's going to kill me. It's not in my notes. Um, James chapter something. There's only five. It can't be that hard to find. It's got to be chapter four then. Where do wars and fights? Yeah, chapter four, by the way. Uh, James chapter four, starting in verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Right? If we ask and we believe and we ask according to his will, he will answer. I know that. He goes, but you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So picture this prayer. Right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, three, four months ago, uh, Mega Millions got up to like $1.2 billion. Do you guys remember that? $1.2 billion. One person won. His takeaway was over $600 million cash. Do you have any idea how bad that would be for me? <laughs> I would have to buy multiple houses. One to hold all the, the musical stuff. One that I would gut and have an indoor pickleball court that then would have walls covered in paddles. And I go, but Lord, I would use it to glorify your name. That might be my intention, 
when I spent, you know, a year on a cruise visiting 180 ports or whatever it is. We saw that. We, we, I came across a year-long cruise, and they have something like 180 ports, 300 and some days. It's over a year. It's like 380 days at sea. It's only 30 grand. Why not? If I have $600 million, well, what about your job? Well, I'll just pay someone else to do it while I'm gone, right? That would be bad for me. There's a reason I've never won the lottery, right? I get excited if I get a scratcher and get my dollar back. But, you know, every now and then, when it was $1.2 billion, I bought a ticket. I spent the three bucks, I bought a ticket. Anybody want to guess at the outcome? <laughs> right? I wasn't the guy. But the point is, you know, what? if I won the lottery, I'd still do my job. I love it. I would just drive up in a, you know, Ferrari or something. Because uh, a Ferrari is a real practical car in Gunnison. <laughs> but that's what the Bible is, is getting at here. Yes, we pray. Yes, we pray with intentionality. Yes, we pray with confidence. But according to his will, not mine. And here's the reality. If we, as followers of Christ, truly want to follow Christ, then our prayer will be, not my will, but yours be done anyway. Our prayer will be, I want what you want for me. Because I know there's things I want, and I don't have them, which means they're wants and not needs. And that's another place a lot of people get disappointed in in prayer. They mistake their wants for their needs. I'll tell you what, if I needed $600 million, God would give it to me. I clearly don't need it. I may think I do, but I clearly don't. Right? What do I need? Well, I need clothes. I need food. I need a place to live. Right? Clearly, I needed the greatest woman on earth. It's going pretty good, right? It's not even Mother's Day yet. Just wait till next week. I'll be laying it on nice and thick. Right? But God, it's not about our wants. It's about our needs. So he comes back down the hill, calls all of his followers to himself, and he chose 12 to be Apostles. Now remember the word apostle means one who is sent. Some of the apostles in the early church had the privilege of receiving and penning scripture. And there were other apostles over time besides these 12. Paul is a great example. Matthias, uh, who replaced Judas after his suicide, is another example. Right? There were others who were considered apostles. Sent by God many of them being given a wonderful privilege of receiving and penning Scripture under the influence and moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, while there are still many that God sends today who have an apostolic calling, I mean, if we really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, we are all called to go. We've talked about that a few times over the last few weeks. So we all, in some sense, are sent by God. So we all, in some sense, just like we're not all called to be evangelists, but we're all called to do the work of an evangelist, we, most of us aren't going to take the title to ourselves of apostle, but we are all sent. And it might not be far, and it might be far, but we are all sent. And there's no one today who still gets to receive new revelation that supersedes the word of God. And that's really important, and I'm going to tell you why. Because there are some people who don't believe that. There are some people, and, and whether they are, you know, super popular on the internet or, or, or te television, or they have, you know, they, they have stadiums instead of seats, right? Or, um, honestly, there's, there's a couple here in town that they think they have the special privilege of receiving revelation from God that supersedes his word. They are false prophets. It's wrong. You can't do that. Doesn't mean you can't have an apostolic ministry and that God sends us, but no one gets to change this. Now, I'm going to get on another soapbox, so I'm just going to you know, scroll my notes up and we're going to move forward. You guys know that I am not particularly a formula kind of guy. I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, step one, step two, step three, ta-da, you have your miracle. That's, that's not, I don't see that working that way in scripture, and I'm not typically a formula guy. 
But I think we can derive directly from this scripture a formula or really a pattern that is useful for us to follow when we need to make a decision. What's that formula? Well, first, get alone with God. You got a big decision to make. You have something life-changing, super impactful, right? It's going to affect you. It's going to affect other people. You got to make this decision. Step one, get alone with God. Spend time with him. Open the word. Be in prayer. Spend time fasting. Get alone. But first and foremost, go to him. Second, pray with sustained intentionality. According to God's will as much as you can, seeking his will for the situation. And those first two steps are all about listening. You're getting along with God, you're getting in the word, you're fasting, you're praying. Why? So you can hear from him. Now once you hear from him, then you can make a decision. Seems pretty easy, right? Well, what if you don't hear, right? The clouds don't part. I always picture, well, oh, you guys are going to get angry. Um, okay, not everybody. But I always picture, my wife already knows where I'm going. The scene from Monty Python. Right? Like three people are laughing. The rest of you are good Christians. Um, uh, but that scene from Monty Python, where God calls Arthur and his knights, right? The clouds part and this thing, and, and you know, the, and God steps through the cloud and they all start groveling. And it's a great scene. God goes, stop groveling. Every time I appear and try to talk to somebody, everybody grovels. Get up. And I don't, it's very bad, but it's funny. Um, right? We, that's how we want God to answer us. Is that, is that how we hear from God typically? It's never happened for me that way. How do we usually hear from God? Well, sometimes there is that still small voice where God directs and guides. Sometimes you'll be in the Word and you'll read a passage and you're like, huh, boy, that really speaks to what I'm going through right now. Well, hey, congratulations, you've just heard from God. Sometimes you're praying about something very, very specific, and all of a sudden, one door closes and the next one opens. Well, I guess that makes sense. We're going that way now, right? There's all kinds of ways God can speak. Sometimes you'll, you'll go to somebody and you'll ask them, all right, this is what I'm going through. The Bible says there's a safety in the multitude of counselors. So you go and you talk to somebody, you go, all right, this is what I'm facing. This is what I'm praying about. This is what I'm, what I'm getting into the Word. This is what I think God might be saying to me. What do you think? And I've done that on multiple occasions. And on many of those occasions, I've had that counselor or the friends that I've talked to go, yeah, I think, I really think this is what God's doing in your life. Cool. I've had other times where somebody, and it's been my wife, go, uh-uh, nope. And so then I stop and I wait. And guess what? They were right. It's awesome. But however it is, he will give you wisdom. He will give you discernment. He will give you guidance so you can make the right choice. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? We go there a lot when we're talking about seeking the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path or he will direct your path. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he comes down and he picks the twelve. Now I want to give you a quick note that other than Judas, who we see commit suicide, and John, who goes to the Isle of Patmos, right, the last time we see John uh, the Apostle, he's still alive, um, all of the, what happened to all of the apostles is not recorded for us in scripture. All we get is Judas and John, oh, I take that back, and James who was beheaded in the book of Acts. So those are the only three we know about. Everything else comes from church history. Are you ready? I'm going to go through this really quickly. Like I do everything else on a Sunday morning, right? Andrew, the brother of Peter, he was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Achaia, southern Greece. He hung there alive for two days because they didn't nail him to the cross. They bound him. So he died from exposure. He hung there alive for two days. What did he do? He preached the whole time. Dude, 
Bartholomew or Nathaniel, depending on which translation you're looking at. He was martyred by being skinned alive and crucified upside down in Armenia. The most traveled of the disciples, after Jesus' death, he preached the gospel in Iraq, Iran, what would be modern-day Iraq and modern-day Iran, Ethiopia, Arabia, and India. James the Greater, he was beheaded or stabbed by Herod Agrippa in 44 AD, um, Acts 12.2. Um, history tells us that his accuser was converted by James' courage. Then you have James the Lesser. He was the first bishop of Jerusalem. He was martyred in his early 90s, so he lived a while. Um, he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple at Jerusalem. But here's the problem. It didn't kill him. So they beat him to death with clubs. And when he still wasn't quite dead, they bashed his head in with a stone. John the Beloved, right? They tried to kill him. Didn't take. Boiled the man alive in oil. Now, if it was me, and the, the, the guy put me in boiling oil to kill me, and I wasn't dying, do you have any idea how sarcastic I'd get? I mean, that would just be, wow, maybe the oil's not hot enough. You know, maybe I just, I, at that point in time, I think I'd have a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, did you light the right fire? Are you sure this is the pot I was supposed to go in? Man, you're bad at your job, whatever it was. But when he didn't die, Domitian uh, exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because God still had something for him to do. Remember the beginning, everything happens for a reason. He was later freed, and then he preached in Turkey. Eventually, uh, they said he pastored the church at Ephesus till the end of his life. Uh, he died around 100 years old. Now, we don't know when he was born, so we don't know exactly when he died, but somewhere around the turn of the century there. Right? Jude wrote the book of Jude, martyred by being beaten with a club, then crucified in the city of Edessa while on a missionary trip. Judas Iscariot, well, he hung himself. Uh, he wasn't really a martyr. Um, okay, not, not really. He really wasn't a martyr. Uh, but you can read about that in Matthew 27, Acts chapter 1, and John 13. Then you have Matthew, or Levi, martyred about 60 AD by being staked and speared to the ground after preaching the gospel in Ethiopia. You want to know why he was killed? He questioned the morals of the king in Ethiopia, and the king had him killed. Peter, martyred uh, in Rome by Nero, somewhere around 68 AD, crucified upside down at his own request because he did not feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Simon the Zealot, ministered mostly in Jordan, martyred by crucifixion in Britain, of all places, in 74 AD. But they didn't let him die via crucifixion. Wasn't that nice of them? They took him off the cross and sawed him in half. Right, at least he didn't die by the crucifixion. <laughs> Class is half full. James is half. Sorry, that was really bad. I'm James, when I get there, I'm sorry. That was. What has two legs and bleeds? That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> Philip. Right, we're moving on to Philip. Philip was tortured. He was impaled by iron hooks through his ankles, and he was hung upside down. This happened around 54 AD in Egypt. Then you have Thomas, right? I won't believe unless I touch the scars in his hands and in his side. And Jesus shows up and he said, Thomas, don't doubt, believe. Touch the scars. Thomas falls on his knees and says, My Lord and my God. He was thrust through by a spear in India. There is still a church there today. Mar Tama Church is what it's called. 2,000 years later, his sacrifice is still bearing fruit. I'm going to give you a few bonus ones. And we're never going to get out of here. Mark, John Mark, right? Dictated the book of Mark, probably from Peter. He was dragged to death behind horses. Luke, the physician, we really don't think about him. He wrote Luke and Acts. Um, he was hanged on an olive tree until he died. 
Matthias, uh, the disciple who filled the place of Judas, right? We, we don't hear a lot about Matthias because, right? Well, because Paul really had a much bigger influence. Um, but he was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. So Matthias still died as a witness for Christ. Paul, we know, was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Um, his last book was Second Timothy. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of James, he was thrown off a wall um, after he repeatedly refused to deny his faith in Jesus. He survived the fall. They beat him to death. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 says this. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now here, I'm just going to bring this up. We talked about this. I talk about this every Easter. I'm going to talk about it real quick. If they had not seen a resurrected Jesus Christ, one of them would have cracked. One of them would have cracked. One of them would have said, wait a second. Before you start skinning me alive, we were joking. It didn't happen. Right? Before you saw me in half, it didn't happen. I promise. It was a big prank, right? We're just trying to to deceive people. Let me go. But when they brought the saw out, and he's sitting there bleeding, having been taken down from the cross, and they begin to saw the man in half, he said, Nope, I saw him. Saw away, I'm going home. You know, after the Watergate scandal, I heard this this week, good timing, God is good. Um, There were 12 people that had to keep the secret about what happened in Watergate. You know how long they managed to keep the secret? Three weeks. Right? And because what were they afraid of? Going to jail. They flayed a man alive. And he wouldn't deny the risen Christ. You ever wonder what our faith is based on? Right? Do we have blind faith? Are we, are we following an ancient book that's not relevant anymore? No, we follow a risen Savior who's given us a book that can't be denied. It is the truth. It is life to us. One of them would have cracked, but not one did. Verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. So after appointing the twelve, he comes down to this level place. The multitudes gather around him. Uh, Get a good Bible map and look up all those names, and you'll see the area where he was at. And it would appear they came to him for two reasons. One, to hear him. Two, to be healed. It's important that we hear him. I think I've talked about that today, right? Because Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we want direction, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want his comfort, if we need his strength or his grace, what do we do? Open the Bible and listen. That's the great place to start. They came to be healed. Now, a couple weeks ago, actually it was probably a little more than that, back when we were in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, we did a whole thing on healing. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, But what we're always going to remember is that God's will is always to heal us spiritually before or even if he heals us physically. Healing is always according to God's will, power, and authority, and timing, and not our own. But as believers, we can always trust God to heal us in one of three ways. He may heal us miraculously, which is awesome. 
when he does that. It's very cool. He may heal us through modern medicine. If you have a headache, take a Tylenol. It's okay. Right? You can pray that God will let the Tylenol work quickly, but it's okay. Or three, we'll get to the place where this body is no longer worth healing, and so he just gives us a brand new one. Right? Now, we don't always see that as healing because this body has to die in order to get the new one. But I promise you, when this body dies, the ultimate healing takes place because everything we've been promised comes to pass. We're commanded to pray for healing in James chapter 5. And we trust him and we pray in faith and we submit to his will for whatever type of healing we need, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever it is. And I always encourage people, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prayed three times to be healed from a physical malady that he had. And three times God told him no. It's Paul. Right? He would walk by people. And that was Peter. He would give them their, they would take his handkerchiefs and people would be healed from his handkerchiefs. It's Paul. He raised the dead. Paul died himself and came back. Paul. Many people think it was something wrong with his eyes because of what he wrote to the church in Galatia. Father, heal me of this. No. But Lord, why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, and I can relate to that. I have prayed for uh, a very long time that God would heal me of my depression. And he never has. And I can only think that he had a reason. One day, maybe I'll know what it is. But first they came to hear, then to heal. It's a matter of priorities. Psalm 138.2 reminds us that I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. They came to hear, then be healed. John 17, 17 through 19, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Right? There's a reason we place a priority on the word of God in our church. Because God tells us to. As we close, I have a great Rick Warren quote for you. And I don't often quote Rick Warren um, he and I would disagree on a few things, but this is a great quote, so I used it anyway. Without God, life has no purpose. Yep. And without purpose, life has no meaning. Yep. Without meaning, life has no significance or hope. Yep. You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will not make sense. I really like that quote. Today we saw Jesus call the twelve into God's purpose for them. They accepted that call. They followed Jesus, even though it meant violent deaths for all of them, but John, and that was not for a lack of trying. Now maybe they didn't know, they probably didn't know that to begin with. All right, that didn't come till later. That wasn't in the job description. Follow me. Right? Create a worldwide movement that will affect billions of people for thousands of years. And then you're going to get skinned alive at the end. But hey, it'll be worth it. Right? It's not the job description. But they did it anyway. As they walked out their purpose, empowered by God's Spirit, these 12 men changed the entire planet. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word. Right? They didn't do it because they were great. But these 12 men changed the entire planet. And we are still benefiting from the effects of their ministry today. I mean, hey, we're studying the book of Luke. We're still benefiting from what they did thousands of years ago. And this is what it means to be a witness. This is what surrender to God looks like. My dear brothers and sisters, this is what we're called to as well. Maybe we won't die a martyr's death. And I'll tell you what, I do not want to be skinned alive, right? I don't. You know, I always said when I, was, when I was younger, there's always two ways of dying that I was afraid of. I'm not afraid to die, but the manner by which I get there, I don't want to be horrible. Um, I'm just being honest. I said I'd never want to drown. I think that would be the, the horrible thing because you would know what was going on and there's nothing you could do about it. I would never want to be burned alive. I can only imagine that would really suck. 
I'm going to add to it being filleted. I'm just going to throw that in there. Right? I don't want that either. But maybe we're not going to be called to that. Maybe we will. But we must die to ourselves daily. We must make the word a priority in our lives. We must seek him in prayer as we constantly surrender to him. And if anyone's not sure how to do that, we looked at a great pattern for hearing God's voice and discovering his direction for us. I highly recommend you start there. Get alone, pray with intention, and listen. And I promise you, if you want to hear God's voice, one way or another, he will speak to you. Usually, I give you a bunch of questions to make us all feel guilty before we go home. Um, but I actually intentionally didn't do that today. Um, but what I will ask is if there's anybody here, or anybody online, or anybody who hears this recording who has never surrendered to Jesus and received his free gift of salvation, until you do that, nothing else matters. We go right back to that Rick Warren quote, without God, life has no purpose. You know, we watched that movie, Jesus Revolution, and one of the things that was said in that movie was they were looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. And that's the gen. We still see that today. We still see that in the people who live in our valley, the people who are our neighbors or the people we see on TV, right? Even look at, at like the whole, the whole transgender, LGBTQ, and everything else that follows it. Look at that whole movement. What are they looking for? Well, they want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to know what their purpose and meaning in life is. They want to know why they're here. They're looking for it in the wrong place, even though they're looking for the right thing. Guess whose job it is to show them the right place? That's us. Let's pray. Oh, if anybody needs that. <laughs> that was awesome! I'm going to try to do that again sometime. I said, let's pray, and you all did this. And then I said, oh, wait, and you all did this. Like, it was, we couldn't plan that. Let's try to get, no. But if you're online or you hear this recording and you have not come to know Christ as Savior, leave us a message, leave us a comment, go to our website, newsongunnison.net, let us know. We would love to help you with that. Now we can pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your great love and grace for each of us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit at work in our lives today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom and guidance in each of our lives so that we can live out the purpose for which you've called us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.